Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate you sharing your story. and I love you for that. Thank you for putting it out there. Um, and Jerry just kind of articulated what I hope is a declaration and prayer for most of you in the room that you just want to be who God has dreamed you to be and not have to play the games and build the image and pretend. And we're going to be praying together to that end today. We started a new series of talks last week about prayer. And uh, for those of you that missed, I'm going to give you a quick update that this series came about, first of all, because I felt like God was saying, I want my church, I want my people to be praying. I want them to be asking me, calling upon me to do a mighty work in them. And I, and I was like, okay, so God, what should we pray? And, and it seemed like God said to me, uh, ask the people. And so we took a couple of Sundays and had a little bulletin insert and asked you, kind of brought a little focus to it and said, would you prayerfully think, if you could only pray one prayer for the church, for, for us, for people, what would that be? And I collected dozens of those from you. And out of all of the diversity and, and different ways that you articulated that, five things kept kind of popping up. And that's what we're doing in this series of talks. We're addressing those five things that we feel like God has invited us to pray for His church. And last week, we prayed together that God would make us holy. And if you missed that and you're not altogether sure what holiness is, or even if that's something that you'd really like to have in your life, then I really encourage you to get the CD from last week or check it out on the website and uh, download it. Because uh, I felt like it was a very important piece for us to uh, allow God to center us on. Today, we're going to be praying in just a few minutes. God, would you make us authentic? Would you make us real? And so we have to kind of define that. We have to um, make sure that we're on the same page because this is a prayer that God wants us to pray. It's a prayer that He wants to answer, but we have to kind of be on His page about what authenticity really looks like. So let me say uh, by way of self-examination, if we're going to ask that God makes us the real us, the real me, the real you, then who are you? What are you? We spend so much time kind of creating a persona for the consumption of others so that they would think well of us so that I am adequate of worth, that I matter, that we get lost in that whole maze. And we become something of at least three people. We all have multiple personality disorder. Right? Right. <laughs> There's the person that others experience you or perceive you to be. There's the person you think that you are. And then there's the person that God knows you to be. 
because He's the one that conceived you before mom and dad ever got together. He's the one that dreamed you, envisioned you. As uh, Jerry led us through that scripture reading a moment ago, He's the one that planned you from before the foundations of this world. He's the one that knew your name way back before you ever drew a breath. Name being the essence of who you are, not just a tag that we apply to people. So when we say, who are you and what are you, that's a God question. Not just a you question, that's a, a God question. For Him to begin to disclose and to reveal to you. And so then, authenticity is getting on that page. Some time ago, I began reading through the book, Unchristian. It's a kind of research book that has been put out by the Barna organization. And uh, I actually haven't finished it because it was so disturbing to me, I just couldn't keep going. I had to put it down and, and uh, I need to pick it up again so that I can finish it. It's got a lot of very important and helpful information in it. But part of what uh, the premise of the book is based upon is that they did a large national survey across the United States of America of uh, young adults, as we would call them, ages 16 to 29. So it's kind of the upper end of the mosaic generation, if you want to use those tags, and the, the, uh, the lower end of the mosaic uh, group, 16 to 29. And basically, uh, they zeroed in on uh, people that we would refer to as outside the church. In other words, ch church, God, uh, matters of the Christian faith are not central importance. And, um, you know, examining uh, their life in light of God and so on, not of central importance. So, kind of on the outside looking in, what are your perceptions about the church and about Christians, about so-called believers or followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to give you three of the responses that overwhelmingly were a part of this large sampling. And I, I would suppose that none of these will be of surprising uh, results to you. The first was this. 85% said, uh, I find Christians to be hypocritical. 85% basically said, Christians are just unreal. And that, they didn't mean that in a positive way. Inauthentic. And it gets worse. And then 87, 87% said uh, almost all the Christians I know are judgmental. They're just kind of punitive and harsh and looking down on people. And then the number one way that outsiders looked at believers or followers of Jesus Christ is that they were anti-homosexual, 91%. Now, it's one thing to have convictions about what the Bible says about homosexuality, and it's another thing to be anti-homosexual or anti-people who are engaged in that lifestyle. And so the perception is, is that we basically hate a whole segment of society. And we don't have time to get into uh, two of those. We're just going to address one of them, but they're all interrelated. It all has to do with being real Jesus kind of people. So, if we wanted to pray, God, would you make us, would you make me authentic? 
What would we be looking at? What would we be hoping for? What would we be looking to cooperate with God about? Let me say in the first place that authenticity is not being natural. It's like the individual who uh, has you know, X number of character defects and just wants to live in those in a kind of raging way. And I, I'm just being myself. You don't like that? Tough. We're not talking about that kind of natural, uh, you know, if you're an angry person, you're just naturally angry all the time. If you're a greedy person, you're just naturally greedy all the time. Selfish, self-centered, you know, whatever. Uh, we're not talking about just being the natural you. The Bible has a whole lot to say about that. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart's deceitful above all things. Your heart, the way you think, the way you perceive life is deceitful above all things. Most deceitful thing there is. Desperately sick. That's why, friends, if you come into this place today as a sick person looking for the hospital of Christ, you're in the right place. Because we're a bunch of sick people. If you don't fit that category, I'll offer a prayer in a moment. You can slip out why everybody's got their eyes closed. Okay? So, let's just keep that in mind. 24-7. I'm sick. You're sick. We're sick. And anytime uh, some sick behavior is going on in somebody, I can't believe he did Why not? He's sick. Sick people do sick stuff. Okay? Okay. <laughs> and so the heart is that way. And that's why you don't want to be naturally yourself, because your natural self is sick. And then 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us a natural man doesn't accept the things of God. They're foolish to him. And so if you had any inkling that God's way might be better than your way, might be higher, might be more wise, might be the way to do life rather than some broken, busted other way, then you would have absolutely no inclination toward that if you're just going to be naturally yourself. Because everything that's natural about us finds the ways of God to be crazy. I'm just not going to go that way. Galatians 5.17 tells us our natural self, the flesh, works against the Spirit. So when you're being naturally you, you're 24-7 working against what God's up to in you. So when we talk about being authentic, we're not talking about you just being natural. All right? We're also not talking about you being religious. Okay? Some of you are like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And others of you, oh, I thought I was on to something. <laughs> but we're not talking about being religious. And I appreciated so much what Lisa was sharing a few moments ago because so many of the things that she was just giving herself to are, are good things that can have really worthwhile and life-giving kinds of outcomes and results. But friends, if we're doing that out of some broken sense, then it works not only against us, it works against our relationship with God. When we work at things religiously, we work against the work of Christ in us. 
So that Jesus said to the most religious group of his day, the most uh, perfect living, uh, conduct, you know, conscious behavior, uh, bending over to take care of it kind of people, he said, uh, there's going to be a day. The, the last day, the judgment day, the accountability day, that day is going to come and you're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, speak in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And Jesus said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Evil doers who do religious things out of the natural self. I never knew you, which gives us a clue. It's about Him knowing us, and it's about us knowing Him. Which leads me to say in the third place, authenticity is Christ's work. It's His work in us. We hear a collective, really? It's something He does. And we do cooperate with that. Let's look together in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you'll definitely want to open it and and, uh, maybe uh, make some notation about some things we highlight for you. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to start with the conclusion of it, and uh, then I'll comment about some verses before. But in verse 10, we're told that we are God's workmanship. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, watch this, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Big God, who knows about all things that will happen at all times in all places. He's got big plans about it all, right? So Paul says, who are we? What are we? We are God's workmanship. People that have given their heart to Jesus, have become followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, doing life with Christ, you become His workmanship, His project, if you will. He's he's developing a life that is like His own in you. And one of the ways that you know He is being successful in developing that life in you is that He has works that you do that He has prepared in advance. Before you ever drew a breath in this world, before this world was ever formed, He had plans for you. Stunning, isn't it? I mean, when I opened the service a few moments ago, praying how in awe we are of Him, how much we marvel at Him, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. He had you in mind, by name, before the foundation of the world, with plans for your life, with things for you to do, that would come out of your relationship with Him. And there's where we get in problems. There's where we get in trouble. 
is because we tend to go for a shortcut and we go right for the deeds. Oh, he's got stuff for me to do. Well, let me go do this. I'll go do that. I'll go do the other. And we're all about religious works done in the flesh rather than out of relationship stuff that he has planned for us to do from before the foundations of the world. So in the context of what Paul tells us, if you look back at uh, the first four verses, he says, here's who you were. If you're a Christ follower now, before you became a Christ follower, you were a dead man walking. You remember that uh, movie, uh, The Sixth Sense? And the little boy had this sixth sense that was able to see what? Dead people. And they're like, what's the matter with you, kid? You're like freaked out all the time. And he goes, I see dead people. Well, he was looking at a lot of us. Because we are like dead people walking around. Uh, there's common language in the prison system. If a guy has a uh, death sentence, and you know those things get appealed, and there's all these other court situations that they have to go through. So a lot of times, from the time of sentencing to the time that it actually happens, execution, there's all this time in between, but they're still considered a dead man. And so when a condemned criminal who is set for execution walks down a corridor in the prison, they'll yell out, dead man walking. And Paul said, you were dead and that's the way you were living. Isn't that a crazy way to think about that? You lived as dead people. And he's talking about what we were saying a moment ago, living in the flesh, living in the natural person, you're living without the life of Christ in you. He said, at one point, all of us were living as dead people. But then Christ died so we could live. The great exchange. And when He died so that we could live, and you appropriated that grace, verse 8, by your faith, by believing in that, then he said, he began to do something in you that displayed that grace. Works. And so our service becomes, our, our deeds, our works, they become uh, about displaying his grace. Rather than, wow, isn't he a great guy? Can you believe how much that guy serves, how, how caring he is, or how compassionate he is, how much he gives? Instead of uh, drawing... Uh, some kind of display about ourselves, it happens in such a way that people are, are drawn to the grace of God. We are displays of His workmanship. Created to do good works that He prepared for us in advance. Now let me, let me unpack that a little bit. We said that authenticity is not doing life naturally. It is doing life supernaturally. It requires an interaction with God in such a way that God's person and power become real to us and real in us and real through us. It's not religious. It's relational. Religiously, it's dead. Relationally, it lives. If you haven't got the relationship part with Him, then what you've got is the religious part, and that's dead. It is Christ's work, 
But it also involves our servanthood. Are you following me? So it's something that he does, but it's something we cooperate with. It's something that we lean into. And it kind of happens like this. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let me ask you, what's happening with you and Jesus? That's supernaturally and relationally taking place. Because that, that's the whole package. That's the whole dynamic of what we're talking about. So, for example, praying, which we're going to do in just a moment. But did you pray a little bit before you came over this morning? Did you pray a little bit in the car? I'm not, besides, God, would you help that kid shut up? You know, whatever that kind of stuff. Um, did you have a little conversation with God? Last night, yesterday, through the week. You go, gosh, I just don't always think about that. And, you know, I always want to pray, but it's just... You know. See, that happens in you supernaturally and relationally. We never, ever pray because it's our idea. If you ever have some urge to pray, God gave you that urge. He was like, pray. And the fact of the matter is, you get more urges than you pray. Right? I ought to pray about that and then you, you're just blazing right on through life. Oh, I should have prayed about that. You just keep going. So he's constantly... And here's what our cooperating with his working in us looks like. It looks like me being responsive. Response-able. Responsible. To his stirring in me supernaturally and relationally. So it's not, I've got my checklist... And, and did I pray at nine? Yes. Did I pray at eleven? Yes. Did I? You know, I, I, I'm not doing it. It's supernaturally and relationally. Every time He stirs me, every time there's an urge, every time there's a prompt, I want to lean into that. I want to respond to that. The same thing about giving. Every time I have some sense of generosity that's holy. It was breathed by Him. Now, sometimes I have ideas about generosity that are not holy. What's that about? That's about me. If I give in this situation, Allah, Ananias, and Sapphira, Acts 5, people will think, He's a generous guy. That's a flesh-slash-religious work. Are you following me? But if I sense Him prompting me to give, and that's, why, that's one of the reasons why Jesus said, do most of your giving in secret. Now, every now and then, it's not possible, and it happens in a public way. But most of the time, we want to do that in secret because we don't want to do battle with the flesh over pride and over image making. And, and doesn't everybody think I am so generous? That's a tough deal to, uh, to battle with. And so He says, so most of the time, don't even battle it. Just kind of keep it in a secret way. And meanwhile, I'll be developing generosity in you. You can't become a generous person unless you give. So if God's going to do work in you that makes you a generous person, He's going to have you giving. Which also means I must be responsive to Him about my spending. Because guess what? If I spent it over here, and he's like urging me to give it over here, oops, I ain't got it. 
That's not over there. So this thing about um, rules and regulations. Don't be wasting your money. Be thrifty. You know, and all that depression era mentality and whatever. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this dynamic, supernatural, relational. God prompts me about my spending. God prompts me about my giving. And in all of that, He is doing a work in me of delayed gratification and discipline and generosity and so on like that. Are you following me? And then it becomes His workmanship. Think about encouragement. The work of encouragement is an awesome thing that God invites us to do. He's constantly about the work of encouraging you, encouraging me, encouraging other people. And a lot of times, He wants to extend that work of encouragement through you, through me. What an un unbelievable deal that He would involve us in the work of encouragement. We see somebody at some point where they need a word that would uplift, that would stir, that would empower, that would, would, would nudge on. And God gives us a little prompt, a little urge. He'll say this to him. Go do that with her. And it's like wind in the sails to someone at that particular moment. Not because I'm going to go around and kill myself trying to help everybody. Every need that I see, I'm going to try to respond to. That becomes about me. And this kind of uh, image of uh, what a nice guy, what a helpful guy, you know, all that kind of thing that I can get entrapped about. The same thing with comforting. Now, some of us are just like magnets to pain because uh, we've got something broken in us that it makes us feel good if we can be comforting to someone else. And if that's the fuel that has us running to every broken, hurting situation, we will wipe our life out. If that's the fuel. You know, it has to be supernaturally, relationally tied to God. Respond to that. Pray for this. Hold a hand. Put an arm around. Give. Speak. Don't speak. Just be. Okay? You can serve because you have been served by Him. Now friends, any time I get to a point where the, the tank, the needle is going all the way over to the E, you know, and I've been running and I've been serving and I've been giving and I've been praying and I've been at the meetings and all this kind of stuff and the tank is getting over to the E, that's because the supernatural relational aspect hadn't been happening. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying God prompts me to make a commitment to serve in our children's ministry. And I, I kind of screw that up and I do a lot of it in the flesh. And so, like, you know what? My tank's over on the E. I'm just going to abandon everybody and I'm going to, you know, skip out on my responsibility. I'm not, I'm not talking about it's become a room full of flakes. We're sick already, okay? <laughs> but I'm saying when I recognize it gets to the E, that I'm real about that. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting in a bad place, so I'm going to have to get it back to where God is doing things in me. God serves us. That's, the, that's why we're in awe of Him. He doesn't have to do anything, but He loves us. 
And He moves in us and works in us and serves us. And it's out of that dynamic we serve others. And if we miss the inflow and all we have is the outgo, then we've got the fleshly, religious, dead man walking. And we've got all this acquired you know, stuff that we show up to Jesus with. Aren't you proud? And He goes, who are you? I don't even know you. We haven't been hanging out together. So here's where we turn a page because we're going to pray. Will you repent? I, I thought about using a different word and I thought, no, let's, let's just go with the big one. Will you repent of doing life without Christ? Will you do life with Him? With Him being your helper. God, I can't do the life with you. I keep going back to the dead way. And He's like, okay, just keep that in mind and keep leaning toward me and looking toward me. Respond to the prompting, the nudging, the urgings that I give you. And if you will repent, if you'll stop going down a dead road and go down the road of life, then we're going to pray together. God will make us authentic. All right? If you're not ready for this, just have a quiet moment for yourself. But for those of you that God's brought you to this point of transaction and decision, uh, bow with me, would you? Close your eyes. And allow me to walk you through a personal prayer for yourself right where you are. But call upon your Father who is in heaven. Hallow, bless His name. All for His kingdom, His presence, His person, to come on you. Your will be done. In me, in us, as it is in heaven. Father, we struggle to trust you. So as you taught us to pray that you'd give us daily bread, we, we pray that you'd help us trust that as we walk in this way, you'll come through. You'll be faithful. And Father, we're already confident because You're a God of grace that You will forgive us every sick, tripped up step we take. But oh God, give us grace to forgive others. 
Work your forgiveness in us so we can forgive others. And Lord, you know how many snares and entrapments, temptations there are. We're confident that you will lead us not in that way. So give us the stirrings, the nudgings, the promptings, the whispers about going in the way of life. Deliver us from evil. And we're confident, Lord, that you can and will answer this prayer. Because yours is the power. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory forever. We all said, Amen.